So guys, I want to welcome everybody to today's group call with Dave Dinkle. And I know you've got uh, a bunch of emails from me about this. And um, as with anything that I do, I am profoundly passionate. So um, I, I got to get it out to everybody. And it's obvious that you can choose to join in, as some people have, and other, people's that, other people that won't. But uh, this is a very, very important uh, subject in a couple of ways, um, and that is um, – if you're an agent in the real estate business, if you're an investor in the business, you want to be an, uh, an investor in real estate, and or, or all of these above, plus you want to create wealth, or you just simply want to create wealth. Maybe you're not in either one of those categories, but you want to create wealth. Um, we're going to share with you guys some fundamentals of, of what Dave has been uh, working on for many, many years but has also come to some different realizations in the markets as they exist today. And I think it's rather important that everybody who participates in this whole idea of investing in real estate um, wrap their head around it because as most of you guys know, um, that most of the wealth in this world has, you know, by, by many stretches of the imagination, have been done by folks who have bought and, and opened up businesses, and while at the same time they have invested in real estate, a tremendous amount of their assets are in real estate. I know the very wealthy have diverse portfolios, as Dave will probably talk to you about a little bit today maybe, but um, understand that we're in a very uh, fine business of, of really where people can, uh, t t can be successful in, in their life, and, and I think uh, oftentimes I hear from my clients who I coach in the real estate retail side, um, I ask them, why did you get into real estate? And I often hear, well, Mike, I want to make some money, great, and I want to do it through you know being an agent, which is fantastic, and then the underlying part of that conversation ends up being a lot of big reasons why I got into this business was because I wanted to go out and buy and sell real estate. I want to own it. I know that it's worth it. I know people who have uh, bought and sold real estate and they're very, very successful out there. So um, with that being said, guys, you're at the right place at the right time today. Um, there's a number of things wrapped around this uh, industry, but uh, we're going to hopefully keep it honed down today with some very fundamentals. Hopefully you'll walk away with some nuggets or take some notes, ask some questions at the end when we open this up. Time permitted, we'll make that happen, and I'll make the time anyway, and then we'll go from there. So I want to introduce to the call uh, Dave Dinkle. And I've known Dave for, gosh, I'd, over 20 years, and um, he has mentored myself, uh, many of my clients that, uh, that I've worked with, and he's helped uh, a tremendous amount of people become very, very, very successful as a real estate investor. So um, I'm going to take, uh, take myself away from this for a second. And, and allow David to introduce himself to you guys. And I know Dave, he's going to keep it pretty simple with himself because he's a humble kind of guy. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm going to let him take it over from there. Dave, are you uh, with us? Can you hear me? I can hear you. I'm all set. Great, great. So Dave, tell us a little bit about your, yourself, your background, and then we can get into the call today and, and uh, handle some of these thoughts around uh, investing. 
Well, very quickly, I was born in Miami. <clears throat> I went to the University of Florida, got a degree in chemical engineering, realized within about a year and a half that uh, I'd never really make any serious money. I started to uh, trade commodities in Chicago because that's where I had moved. And after 14 days of sub-zero temperatures, I decided to move back to Miami. Uh, we did that, and I started um, to become a full-time stock and commodity broker at a little firm called Merrill Lynch. And then as a, my career progressed with the industry, I started to actually, I owned three stock brokerage firms. Uh, they were called discount houses because that's uh, when the New York Stock Exchange finally allowed uh, negotiation of commissions. So I opened those and sold those, uh, two of them to major banks. But uh, in 1975, I bought a property that was really in bad shape, and I decided to uh, rehab it. <clears throat> At that time, the MLS was a newspaper format. It came out once a week. So it's not like it is today, to say the least. But uh, <clears throat> I found out that uh, real estate investing, the difference between that and the stock market was it took a while to sell the property, which annoyed me. And I came up with an idea. I call it a FISBO power selling system. And it, it's a live auction. Uh, so typically when we have a rehab property, we sell it in the first weekend, uh, maybe in two weekends if it takes that. Uh, that's another story, though. So here I am <clears throat> becoming a full-time investor um, probably uh, over 40 years ago. And I started out by doing rehabbing. We did that for 25 years. Uh, Nan and I had, uh, I had contractors working in three counties. And I realized after <clears throat> a certain amount of time that uh, they weren't necessarily, I'm not going to say trustworthy, but they didn't show up. They didn't do the work right. All the things that can go wrong, they did it for me. So Nan and I sort of flipped into rehabbing ourselves, and we did that for a fair amount of time. We averaged about $56,000 net on, wholesale, on rehabs. It took us typically for the rehab and the sale about three to four months. And I started uh, to keep a cash flow. I started the wholesale transactions. As we look back, it, we're averaging about thirty-two dollars to $34,000 on wholesale deals that took uh, less than a few hours of our time. So we quit rehabbing. It doesn't take a lot of brain power to figure that one out. And we've predominantly <laughs> been sailors ever since. Mike, you started saying Okay. No, no, no. I'm, I'm going, yeah, no, you said within a few hours, and I just chuckled. It's quite interesting to make that shift. So go ahead. Finish off. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Well, I had a lot of requests from people out there that saw me at the clubs and all, to mentor them. And in 2006, I decided I'm going to go ahead and try that and put together a mentoring program, which has been one of two things. Either the students quit or they become extraordinarily successful. There's no in-between. When you learn how to sell properties and make money, by, it feels like clapping your hands sometimes. Uh, there's no reason not to do it on a regular basis. We don't do anything illegal. don't do anything immoral. We just have a plan that we follow. Now, there's oftentimes misnomers about investing, and if you have some of those, I'd like to address them, Mike. Yeah, Dave. Um, I think one of the uh, questions is, you know, is is it legal to sell a property that you don't own? 
Okay, and the guys who take the real estate exam know that they hear this all the time. <clears throat> you can't sell something you don't own, which is true. However, there's a huge caveat to that, and that's how we work legally. When you sign an agreement with a seller, and this goes back to any kind of proposition, even automobiles, if the seller signs an agreement for you to purchase the property, you have what is known as an equitable interest, and you can market that property instantly. Now, you can't market it on the MLS unless you're licensed and unless you have a listing agreement, but you can market it off the MLS, and you can sell it legally. Okay. So, so you don't have to uh, physically have a deed in your hand in order to resell that property. You can just sell the interest that you have in that property because of the contract, right? Okay, that's a great question because there's two formats to transferring that property to an end buyer. Mm -hmm. What is often talked about is very simply an assignment of contract, meaning the contract that you get with the original seller, whether it's through an agent or directly with the seller, if you have a clause that says you can assign it, then you can actually find an end buyer who steps into your shoes. One of the things that's most interesting to me and that most real estate agents and brokers don't understand it until they see it is if a contract, and this holds true in every state in the United States, uh, any contract does not have an assignability clause, meaning if it doesn't say it cannot be assigned, it can be assigned. So I say that to my students. We use that to our advantage, but the average person says that doesn't make sense. It makes sense legally. It's been through the court system. If the contract does not say it's not assignable, it is. I'm going to say to you one of the things that a lot of agents miss is they see on the assignability questions, there's typically three choices that immediately go to may not assign. If I was an agent, I've never been licensed, never will be licensed, because I think it's too um, restrictive on what you do. You guys, if you're agents that are listening to me, you're way overburdened uh, legally with stuff you don't have to be. You're way overworked and you work for very little money. That's why most of the guys that come to me say they really want to be investors. That's why they got into being licensed. So to get back to it, you don't have, let's say, the other aspect. You're not going to assign it because the profit's too large. If you assign the contract, the A to B leg, the first leg, uh, is over ten or $15,000, the end buyer may object. He may say to himself, uh, gosh, you're making, uh, I just did one for $94,000. You made $94,000 by coming to the closing for 15 minutes, and I overpaid for it. And the seller might say, oh, my gosh, I was happy with the price to begin with, but I didn't know you were going to make $94,000. An assignment is out of the question. So what we do is we do, very simply, a double closing. So I be, I'm actually a transactional funder, so I bring to closing the money needed to the investor, 100% of what he needs to close the A to B transaction. Now, he's on title. It hasn't been recorded, but he has the deed. So there's no question about ownership. The same day in the afternoon, he deeds that property over to his end buyer, so the original seller and the end buyer have no idea what the profit was. 
if you're interested in seeing that $94,000 wholesale transaction with no money whatsoever from the investor, uh, if you go to YouTube, type in Dave Dinkle, wholesale no money. It's the first one on there. It says uh, $94,000 profit, why not you? It starts out at 22 minutes, but roll it back because it will give you a lot of information about how very complicated deals are the largest profits for us. And this had overlaying uh, aspects of why the seller should be motivated. I don't want to keep run running on, but um, one of the questions I get oftentimes is <clears throat> what kind of licensing does an investor need? I used to say you only needed a driver's license, but one of my most successful students doesn't drive. He has a chauffeur. And when he goes around to see houses and does driving for dollars, he doesn't drive. He sits in the back seat and works his iPad to find motivated seller properties, and he drives to each one of them. His driver drives. So what do you need? You do not need anything but a driver's license, and you, there are no continuing education credits. There's no requirement for you to have the MLS. And frankly, there are services that are less expensive that have much more information than the MLS. So we, I've never used the MLS. I've never, I guess I could have had access to it because a lot of my students are also uh, licensed. But it's just, it just seems like it's too complicated for me. That initial sheet that has all those numbers and taglines and everything else doesn't matter to me. So... So David, can you do me a favor? Step back a second and just go do the um, what is an A, what is a B, what is a C. Just keep it simple for for those who what does that A to B leg mean and what does that B to C leg mean? Uh, just give us a quick definition on that. Okay, so in our vernacular, the letter A uh, stands for the original seller. That's the property owner. It may not be a single family home. <clears throat> it could be a 96-unit multi-unit uh, multi property. The B is the investor. So the A to B means the original seller sells it to the investor. could be an agent. Oftentimes it is. The agent closes using my money as transactional funding. So he has no money in the deal other than an earnest money deposit if, in fact, he puts one up. And there's ways not to have to put one up, which are legal, despite what you may think or may have heard. Now, the next stage or the second leg is he then is owner of the property. It's not on the public record. It will not be until the end of the day when it's electronically filed. But the end buyer comes in and buys it from him. So on the A to B leg, let's say he pays $100,000. The B to C leg, the end buyer comes in and pays one hundred and twenty. dollars I get paid back from the end buyer my $100,000 plus my funding fee of 1% plus $50 wire fee. And the difference on the HUD is a net profit to the, um, to the investor or agent if the, agent is if the person is licensed. So that's called an A to B leg and a B to C leg. Gotcha. Okay, great. So, guys, I hope that makes sense, okay? The B guy is the one – I mean, everybody's being served here, just so you're clear, because um, oftentimes people say, well, isn't the B guy taking it? Like Dave said, you know, the seller might think he's getting, being taken advantage of. No, we're solving a problem, and Dave might address that today. I'm not sure, but uh, one of the most – you know, it's kind of like on the retail side when we talk about – 
why somebody is selling, you know, what's your motivation for wanting to do it. Um, in the investing world, it's exactly the same thing. And what we're doing in these types of situations very often is solving a major life changing problem or life problem for most of these people that have these uh, situations where large amounts of profits can be made while at the same time we're satisfying the needs wants and desires of the original seller so you're not in its you know we might think we could take advantage of people but it's absolutely not true we're actually helping them um, you know especially when you walk into a house and it's distressed and the folks lost their job or there's a big divorce going on or the place is vacant and it's sitting there and it's going through a foreclosure process or it's a probate situation I did one last year and the, the people were like so happy that we did what we did because the place was destroyed and we came in, we paid cash for it, and it was a very, you know, fluid transaction. But the people, they knew I was making money, and they knew they were getting rid of it for a lot less than what they potentially could have done. However, they also understood in reality that this was their best option at that given moment. And so as the B person, which is you, i.e., an investor or an agent, you're going to take that to the C buyers. So, Dave, I appreciate your clarification on that. Um, you know, one of the questions I have written down here, um, can an agent, uh, you know, and, and I know this is a big question, this is a big myth, and we want to, we got to handle it today, you know, and, and how can an agent ethically and legally uh, double or triple uh, their income on a listing that they have? And, you know, and, and what are some of those methods, if there are any that you can come up with, uh, that they can do this? Uh, because a lot of guys on the phone today are licensed people. So what do you what is your thought about that please? I'll cover four of them very quickly, but uh, I created a text called hybridism, which melts together the best uh, potential issues or benefits that both agents have and investors have to bring them together and do deals. The first one, for example, that we see most often. Now when I say it, I, when we see these most often, I fund hundreds and hundreds of these transactions. So I see things that nobody else would see other than the actual agent that is doing it. So typically what I see is an agent comes in. Um, if you have a listing, you're going to get phone calls all day long from investors. Hi, I'm a cash buyer. I can close quickly, blah, 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 blah. And what do you do with them? If you're smart, you've already started building a buyer's list of these supposed cash buyers. However, when you get a listing, agent, a listing agreement, you go out to the property and you look at it, it's a hoarder's dream, and you ask the simple question that you have to ask every time you go, by the way, why are you selling? If there's any sort of time frame involved, like a deadline of any sort, for example, a tax deed sale, oh, by the way, next Thursday I'm going to be going to a tax deed sale, I'm going to lose my house. That's absolutely correct. They're not going to stop it except by a bankruptcy filing. That's not in their best interest. And I've seen agents take listings for a tax deed sale thinking they could sell it without having a buyer's list, and the people lost their house. It's in their best interest to solve the problem. You get paid very well for it. But here's what happens. You take the listing agreement. On the newest far bar, it has an option there for taking a listing agreement, but not listing it on the MLS. You have a delayed factor. 
What you do is you go to your wholesale buyers list and you offer it to them. <clears throat> They're going to be all over it. So here's what you're looking at. You're looking at a 5 or 6% listing commission. You're also looking as these wholesale buyers come in, they will say to you, uh, how much is it? And you say, I have to get a 3% buyer's uh, agent fee. They will be happy to say yes. So in a worst case scenario, you make 9%. Not so bad. However, <clears throat> let's say that you want to go a little bit further and you want to actually be into the transaction. And this is where I see, I don't see too many agents doing it. I only see brokers doing it because they've been in the business a long time. They understand the process and the legalities. So you go to that homeowner and she says, I have to be out of here by Thursday the following week. And you say to them, um, uh, by the way, uh, if I list it, it's going to be 30 to 60 days. I can't be sure that the buyer will close. But what I can do is put it out to my wholesale buyer's cash list, and I can get you a buyer for it. And he or she says, great, I just want out. Now, the biggest misconception in, in being a licensed agent I see is your thought is the best you can do for the client means the highest price. That's not true. In many, many cases, if you have a motivated seller, they want a problem solved. They don't want to wait for the most cash because they may never get it. They need the money, especially in probates where you have more than two beneficiaries. Some of those guys just want the money now. They don't care how much the money is. Ironically, in probates, very oftentimes the seller, the beneficiary, will not list it because they don't want to pay you a commission, which is striking to me. We come along as investors and say we can close in 10 days, and we can, but here's what we're going to offer. They say, I'll take it. That could be 30% below what you could have gotten for them. So could you have solved the problem better? Not in the eyes of the beholder, which is the seller. So here's what happens. You put it under contract. You say to the seller, I'm going to get 140 for it, or we'll rediscuss it. You go out to your buyer's list. You advertise it, as I said before, at 170. Buyers come in, and you can put on a 3% buyer's agent commission or not, but you become the buyer. You get 6% on the original transaction. You have a markup on the spread, and you sell it to the end buyer. Now, uh, what about disclosure? This is sounding like it's illegal. It sounds like I'm going to be in an orange jumpsuit, according to one of your attorneys that makes videos for your uh, real estate training. Uh, the reality is I have the clauses for you. I, had, I went to my attorneys, and I said to them, here's what the guys are already doing. And they're not even putting clauses in. They said, well, here, put, in a, put these clauses in. Now, you should have them verified by whatever attorney you're going to use. Uh, but the reality is we're talking about uh, netting instead of 25 or 3% because another agent brings a buyer between 12 and 22 to 24%, real numbers. And the text that I'm giving to Mike to give to the guys who are on the call today, I show you actual HUD statements and in one case, for example, uh, $400,000 purchase, he made over $60,000, and that was 14.3% commissions and fees combined. And the question comes up, well, did he have $400,000 to put up? Absolutely not. In my personal experience with dealing with tens of thousands of agents, they typically do not have any money. They, you know, they, I said you guys work for what I call tips. 
very, very little money. And it's a very, very, very competitive nature. So what happens is I loan those brokers the $400,000, for example. They don't need any money other than an earnest money deposit, which in many cases, because they're dealing directly with a seller, it's a minimum number. So that's the second way. <clears throat> the other way is you can actually become an investor directly. Instead of getting a commission on the original seller, just put it under contract, sell it out to your wholesale buyers list, and take out a spread. So if, it's, if you're uncomfortable getting a commission from the seller, and typically you earned it, but if you're uncomfortable, don't take a commission. Just take the contract. Now again, if this property is in pristine shape, ready to move, you're going to put it out there at full market value. I don't know if I put it in the text or not, but some of my brokers buy and sell the property at the same price just to get the commissions. And if you're saying to yourself, how do they do that? Well, it's very common practice. What you have to learn is how do you cover closing costs? So you can become the investor yourself. You can buy it and sell it at the same price. Or one of the things that bothers me the most, and I have to say to you that this is, it doesn't bother me the most. I think it's illegal, but it happens by far too often. Um, I was board of realtors in Miami when I was a Miami board. I, I had a conference. They had me come in and talk to them about the short sales. And in the course of the beginning of the meeting, I said to them, how many of you guys ever put an offer in as a buyer's agent and followed up to find out that the property sold, in fact, below the offer you put in? And it was like I turned a switch on. Probably half the people jumped up and started screaming that that had happened to them, and it was illegal and immoral, and I don't disagree with that. But here's what happens. And I had a broker who was sitting in the front row challenging me that he does that all the time, an REO broker. He said, if I see a contract coming in from anybody, I don't open the email. Therefore, I don't have to worry about showing it to somebody else. But what happens is, let's say it's $100,000. You want to get 5 or 6%. You just wait and get 5 or 6%. Dave Dinkle sends in a contract for $110,000. Cash, uh, no contingencies whatsoever. And I don't get it. I notice in the public record it closed at 80000 bucks. So I go back to the agent or broker, and there's a whole string of ambiguous reasons why I didn't get it. I actually have them listed in the book. If you want to use ambiguous reasons why you're holding out for the highest commission, I have them in there for you. But to me, I don't think that's legal. I just don't think that's fair. When you sign the listing agreement, the attitude is you're going to get the seller the highest possible price for the property. And if you don't show him higher offers because they're coming in with buyer's agents, that's a problem. So those are the five ways, actually, that I see through funding, actually working with agents, how they skyrocket their career. Now, obviously, if you go out on listing calls um, and you see the properties in pristine shape and stuff like that, you're not going to try and wholesale the property. It needs to have a reason, a time frame, a condition problem, and things that go with that that have agents, uh, have investors trying to get the property. So that's a questionable practice in my mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Dave, speaking of these um, 
Speaking of these ways to buy the properties, okay, and then you mentioned also, you know, the buyer's list, okay. I know that's a, it's a huge thing for a lot of the most successful agents and or investors. They have a buyer's list, right? And um, the question this becomes, um, where do you find these folks that have the cash or what, what are some of the best ways uh, to to get some uh, people on your list, uh, what do you think? Uh, give you give some suggestions to these folks on the phone today. Okay, so for a buyers list, what you want is people who actually are buyers. You're going to get a lot of investors that call you and say, "I'm a cash buyer," and that's their mantra. In fact, they can come to me and get the cash. The issue is, can they find somebody to buy it from them? Because they're not actual buyers. If they are. They're typically rehabbers who get hard money. That's another uh, niche market, so to speak. But what we do for our students, for example, is we go to anybody that's been either one of two things, a cash buyer, meaning they paid cash for the property within the last 12 months, whether it was listed or not. For example, on the MLS, I think you can search for cash buyers, but those are only properties that were listed on the MLS. Again, as I understand, we have uh, higher level search programs that give us both cash buyers as well as cash holders. That means the people bought it for cash and have held it for more than 12 months. Who are those guys? They're landlords. So if you get a, a multifamily property that you want to sell, you build a buyer's list of multifamily landlord holders that are in the game. Uh, the other thing that we do is we call realtors and say to them, do you have cash buyers? And if they don't get it, they'll tell us all kinds of profanities about why we shouldn't be doing that. But if they're in the game, they understand it. Right now that I know of, there's 12 brokerage firms in the Tri-County area that do no listed business other than by accident. All they do is they hire licensed agents who they turn into investors as bird dogs. And they pay them very little money. They may pay them a, a half a commission when they're, in fact, let's say the half a commission's $2,500, they're reselling that property for maybe a twenty-five dollars to $45,000 profit. But that's their game. That's exactly what they do. And oftentimes when you see a flat fee listing, you know, why is the guy doing that for $295? For the lead, that's, I, if I had a brokerage firm, I'd do a half a percent to bring in the listings to see if I, what am I, you know, you get 100% payout, all you have to do is pay 398 Why do you do that? Because you think you're getting 100% payout. But the reality is, who's it going to? Where is the property and how much is the next guy going to make on it? So there's all sorts of ways to attack that. But I have a, I have a course on building a buyer's list. If you said to me, what's the most important thing in real estate investing? The average idea comes up as finding sellers, you know, after repaired value, true mark, none of that actually matters. If you simply build the strongest buyer's list, you never have to put up an earnest money deposit, look at another property, people will come to you to sell their deals and you can sell other people's deals. And I have students that do that full time in their office bedroom, typically earning over fifty to eighty thousand dollars a month net. So can anybody do that? No. Because some people don't have the open-mindedness to believe that it can be done. It's too good to be true. Good. Believe that because we're going to move forward and keep doing it. 
<laughs> that's it, right? It doesn't matter, right? So some people said it's not going to work, and they're probably right for them. It's not going to work, right? So yeah, I just want to I want to bounce off something that Dave said. Um, you know, and I I mentioned this to one of my clients a, a couple weeks ago, and he asked me, you know, he says, well, what's the what's the most important thing in investing versus residential real estate? if you're doing retail and my answer is simply what Dave said it is is actually opposite of the retail side meaning as an investor or let me say it this way as a real estate agent if you're just strictly doing retail business your best as you guys heard me say many times before your best bet best bet is to be a listing agent you want to control the inventory you're the boss you control the inventory and you get other agents selling your properties and you can be in Tahiti drinking the uh, whatever you drink in Tahiti and somebody comes you with you with an offer through email and you can sell it because you have the listing you're in control on the opposite side it, it just on the on the investing side as Dave said the where I say don't work with buyers if you're doing retail. If you're an investor, you need the buyer's list. It's a very important thing because that's when you finally come across a deal, as Dave said, and you can call your list up and say, guys, I got a deal, got an opportunity, got a, you know something here that you need to look at. And then those are the people, those are, that's your inventory, so to speak. Uh, finding properties, uh, you know, it's not always a walk in the park, but finding buyers with cash, it's actually, once you get to get yourself ingrained in it, it's its actually pretty simple, And but you have to go through some uh, talks with them and interviews with them to make sure that they're solid and they're going to be worthy of your list and so on, but uh, it's a very, a very important area. Dave, I want to bounce on something here. Um, you know, we talked about, you know, some of these deals, right? having a buyer's list makes sense uh, because when you come across something you want to be able to call your list up and say I got a an opportunity here I'm gonna send it over to you if you're interested uh, you got 24 hours to decide that's great now the other question then is how do I find motivated sellers okay and uh, because everybody seems like they want you know over fair market value even if they're in a distressed situation but fundamentally um, uh, what are some areas uh, that today people could look at for finding deals okay in the text that the listeners are going to get, and I don't sell this book. I only give it to my mentor students. There's over 180 ways to find what should be motivated sellers. A motivated seller, there's some kind of time frame where he can lose the house. That's motivation. Otherwise, he may call you up as an agent and say, I really am motivated to sell. Put it down there, I'm motivated. And then you get a buyer. He says, no, I think I want, I don't want to come down $1,000. I want my price. He's not motivated. He's just throwing it out there. Uh, those kind of people, I wouldn't take a listing. I'd give it to somebody else because they're just time wasters. But typically what we do is we layer uh, the modes of why should they be motivated. For example, if you watch that $94,000 profit video that I mentioned to you, you'll see that it was a probate, a quiet title motion because a uh, – a squatter had come in and filed a quit claim in the public record, which is a valid claim against the property. That had to be knocked off. There's all kinds of title issues, uh, lien issues against the property. For us as investors, 
the bigger the problem, the ball of problems that we have, the worms that we have to weed through, very simply means the bigger the profit. And we have another axiom. The smaller the FISBO sign, the bigger the profit. So, mm. um, for example, <laughs> let's say I said to you guys who are looking at the MLS, show me non-owner occupied properties with more than 30% equity who have been owners for more than 15 years. Not, not going to happen unless they're listed. I said to you, show me unlisted, not yet listed, pre-probates and probates. You'd say, well, there's 45 probates in Dade County, whatever the number is. And I'd say to you, yeah, but there's 3,400 that are pre-probates. That's from the other programs that we use. So you guys are kind of touching the tip of the iceberg, even by using two programs in the public record, that can all be done for you in a millisecond, not having to go through and figure out what. No one goes to the courthouse anymore. That's got to be the biggest waste of time and money in the world. Everything is done electronically, especially in Florida where you mostly have electronic filings and mostly have auctions, either uh, online yeah, online auctions for uh, foreclosures and tax deed sales, for example. So they're out there everywhere. You just you're limited by the MLS. Is what I'm going to say. So, so the MLS can be uh, obviously some opportunity in there without question. Um, you just have to set up your search criteria. But the, the other programs that are available out there, people can have access to, will give you the uh, the information on a broader scale, like the pre probates, you know, things like that uh, you can get. There's also, what, tax deed sales, um, bankruptcies, if you have relationships with attorneys. Uh, and guys, is like Dave has a listed in the book that you guys are who are on the call today, um, assuming you just text me, you know, your number and your email, um, that I'll get you the book. But uh, there's a bunch of ways to make, uh, to, to find deals out there. And, and guys, I'm going to say this, you know, it, 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 as Dave said, a lot of this uh, thought process wrapped around uh, investing is really connecting the dots, meaning that you're going to bring uh, your buyers that you have we're going to talk about as an investor agent or just an investor, whoever you are on the call today, but you want to bring your buyers to the deals and then you want to find the deals to bring to the buyers. You just stand in the middle just as a traditional agent, if you will, and you're going to be standing in the middle. I like to call uh, all of us who do this the toll booth. Okay, some of you, some as people drive through you, they got to drop some coins into your bank account, and that's really what uh, what that's all about. And and I want to make sure that I say this. I just wrote it down just to make sure. I know Dave mentioned it, but a lot sometimes you know we hear and we miss some points here. You are licensed, and if you are licensed, you must disclose. And Dave, has he mentioned, I know he says he has disclosures um, that he's put together with his attorneys, but you definitely need to seek the best advice from your own personal attorneys and, and people that can help you with that. Uh, but you, if you're licensed and you're doing these types of transactions, I implore you, do not just do them arbitrarily because it sounds like a good deal. And yeah, it might be a good deal, but you've got to write down on that contract some way, shape, or form that people know that you are licensed and you are going to making a profit however you structure that, but uh, make sure you get that covered because you don't need that coming uh, back at you. I just want to make sure I share that with you guys, okay? hope that makes sense. 
Um, Dave, I know you know we've got we've, we're on the call right now about forty forty five minutes right now into the call. And guys, there's a ton of things, um, but Dave, I want to kind of button it up here. Um, I want to, you know, take my steps today. I want to, you know, I want to look at this a little bit more. Uh, you know, there's there's obviously some things that we can do. I know you guys are going to get the book that uh, participated today, but um, Dave, I want to I want to start doing something today. Um, I don't need to take a course. I don't want to, you know, because we're not here to pitch anything anyway. We're just here to give you guys some, hopefully, some great value. And we'd love to spend more time doing this. But, you know, I know everybody's time is limited. But, Dave, you know, I, I'm just going to talk to you mano y mano. Um, you know, I want to do something now to kind of get this process going for myself, um, short of obviously getting some coaching and stuff like that. But what can I do today? you know, to get my head wrapped around this and, and get the ball rolling that uh, I could, uh, you know, get some transactions happening. Let me keep it simple. Well, um, I think what you need to do is, the listeners need to do is be informed that this is really happening. I have uh, tons of YouTube videos where I show uh, actual uh, closing HUD statements. You know, this is not pie in the sky. This is real serious. I have a website, Transactional Funding One Point or One PT dot com. Transactional Funding One Point, and on there you can see all sorts of transactions that uh, you may not have believed existed. I think that one of the most important things you need to look at in the material, I show a 30-day challenge. I call it. It's basically 30 single-family home closings. And the question came up, well, there are no deals that are listed on the MLS. And I mimic that by saying if it's listed more than five days, it's not a deal. And what people think is the realtor speak says this is a great deal because of the coming area, because that doesn't matter. For us as investors, how much money can we make on it right now, not two years or five years down the road? So in there I did 30 transactions that happened in the previous 30, 24 days. Half of them were listed. Half of them were not listed. The average net profit on the deal was 28,000 for listed deals, uh, listed transactions, and on the non-listed it was 32,000. And you need to look at those in depth because I have the six areas where they came from. So if you said, "What should I do next?" I think you ought to get the book and then watch some YouTube videos of mine. Not to say that mine are the greatest, but they're real. Uh, they're not fluff and stuff like that. In the uh, book, I also talk about. What's so special about you? And there are 14 points in there that you as an agent need to understand. Typically, as a professional, you take uh, continuing education courses. You dress in a shirt and tie. You get uh, you know, two- and three-day degrees for 250 to $500 that go on your card. I've seen people with 10 of those. None of that matters. What matters is your relationship with the seller Obviously, I don't want you coming out scruffy and unshaven and holes in your pants. But the reality is, if you're going to get the deal, uh, you need to get the seller on your side. And that's not always easy. I know you take massive training courses, how to close the sale and do that. We don't do that. We don't have that. And we do so much more business than you guys. So open your mind, get the book as soon as you can, and read through it. How's that? That sounds great. That sounds great. So let me go back to the one of those words you mentioned in there, Dave. Um, if you laid out 
you know, amongst all the, the tactical and strategic ways, obviously, to do this business here, okay? If you looked across the board, across all the guys that you've worked with, from John to John to, um, you know, the names that I'm not going to mention, any last names here, but um, these guys that we've introduced and uh, I've coached and so on. Um, but just, you know, not just those guys, but everybody, uh, especially John A., what, what would you say is the mindset? Because this is a part of the game, you know, and and you, and you, I know you're going to say something here. I'm thinking, you know, uh, some, the word fear, and I know you're going to say something around that. But what is the mindset of these guys? What, you know, what is what drives them to continue to do this as a final on this thought here? You know, the eye of the tiger, or what drives them personally, is their personal motivation. But the reality is, if you said what is the one thing that they all happen to have in common that are very, very successful people? It's persistence. I try and train them in the fact that the the first five or six no's are only the beginning of the conversation. We make our money on follow-ups. We do not make it on making offers. We make stupid, low, ridiculous offers, and they should not be accepted. If they're accepted, we've done something wrong. Now, that's absolutely the reverse of what everybody else says. You've got to make the perfect offer or you won't get the deal. We don't want the perfect offer because you're paying too much for it. So persistence, uh, you know, John that you're talking about, when he came into the mentoring program, he worked 12, 14 hours a day. Now I think if he works 12, 14, hours, 14 minutes a day, uh, he's still doing close to a million dollars a year. Those aren't commissions, guys. When we talk about numbers in wholesaling, they're net numbers. They're not, you're going to get 5% of a million bucks or two and a half. No. Those are net numbers after all those expenses and stuff. So persistence, get started on building your buyer's list. Whether you use it or not, you'll make contacts, and it will become very powerful once you get into understanding this process. Okay? Okay. Appreciate that. So, guys, listen, um, any, uh, I just want to quickly open this up to um, any Anybody who has any questions, uh, let me see. I'm not sure if I have everybody muted. Okay, great. So if you guys have any questions, uh, take a couple of seconds here, whatever it takes. Uh, Dave, if you've got a couple of minutes. Anybody have any questions that they would like to ask Dave uh, in this uh, conversation today? Bring them on, guys. Anything? They're purviewing their notes. <laughs> Hello? So, my question. Go ahead. I can hear you. Okay, great. Uh, Dave, um, the big thing I think is finding it's, these deals, uh, given everything, you know, all the ways to look for them and trying to find the motivation. Have you found something that's more uh, effective than, than others? Does that question make sense? Yeah, uh, I think one of the things you're seeing coming up more often is um, how to get them by texting, um, by doing some things electronically, Facebook ads, various things like that. Um, on the texting issue, uh, one of my students was recently fined $9 million. I'll repeat, $9 million. Uh, because one of the people out of 900 that he mailed to is very litigious. Uh, she right. actually runs 
microphone gets on people's list and then sues the crap out of them in federal court, which means your uh, the attorney you do for closings and the guy you know and your buddy are not going to go to federal court for you. Now, they scrubbed the list uh, twice. They scrubbed it twice for litigious persons besides. Do not call twice, litigious persons twice, and that person wasn't on any of those lists. So I've now seen almost a total of $24 million by trying uh, with students who are trying to take shortcuts to, you know, because somebody else said it would work. And it probably will work until you get caught or somebody else lit- litigious uh, gets in your road. But here's what I will say to you in terms of the deals. <clears throat> we never close on a property without getting some sort of discount before we do it. Mm-hmm. Some of my students have very advanced techniques where they will go in, <clears throat> make an offer as soon as the property is listed, and it will be accepted because it's either full market, full market listing price or a couple percent below. Now they have a property under contract. What are they going to do with it? If the listing agent wasn't going to be able to sell it because he overpriced it to get the listing, how are they going to sell it? The next thing they do is they actually they actually send it to their buyer's list below what they have it at to buy. So now you're saying these people are absolutely nuts. No. The next step that comes in is the step that gets us the price reductions and the giant profits on these deals. And the buyer's list is critical. So there are all sorts of advanced strategies, but you have to learn the basics of just how does this work, let me learn, build my buyer's list, and take off. If you can do two wholesale deals, you're going to be a champion. If you can't, it's your fault. I'm very passionate about this. You guys can probably hear that from the conversation because anyone can do this. This is not hard. It's a wall of information seemingly initially. And, you know, the objections I get are, can you do this legally? How, I don't have any money. Those, those things are all passe. I don't know if you realize this, but probably 10 to 15,000 wholesale transactions are done daily in Florida. I don't know how many nationwide. So if it's illegal, do you think it's been going on all these years that somebody hasn't finally said, let's stop it? So, right. next question. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the uh, question, Jim. Appreciate it. Jim is out in Vegas, David. He's in a almost a similar market than we are here. And uh, does anybody else have another question? I have one, but I'm going to ask anybody else who has another question, please. Any other questions? Okay. So, Dave, what do you? Where did, let's talk. Go ahead. No, I say you got an easy audience. What were you going to say? I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it got it all. I got it. It's okay. It's all good. <clears throat> Not everybody is a public speaker, and I understand that. But here's a, here's a question, David, uh, and then we'll kind of button it up on this. What's happening with the uh, market? Uh, where do you see it uh, going? I know you. T- you I know that's a big part of your game because you not only you're not because you're in it all day long, uh, dealing with uh, many different facets of it. Uh, what do you see happening? Because we we had the bottom fall out in '06, '07, and '08, um, came back. <clears throat> now it's at the, it's at a peak. It's partly partly flattening out now. But where do you see things happening for the investor community and agents as a whole as they combine this effort into their business? Well, I can't talk about agents combining it because the ones who who I who I have as students that find it 
the actual agent part of it is a very small income to them. Many of them are licensed and don't use their license, except to get a half a commission on an REO or something. <clears throat> My expectation is the market already has turned down and it's gone sort of flat, which for wholesalers is an enormous opportunity. We function best in a down market. We do good in up market, but in a down market, we virtually always see larger profits because the sellers are finally becoming motivated, and especially the ones where there's a time frame involved. Uh, there, again, out-of-state out of owners, for example, um, are a huge source of income for us. The, the out-of-state owners just don't want to be bothered with a second property. So you can look for code liens and violations, non-owner occupieds, and boom, find them, run them down. Um, and it's always going to be there. Real estate is a renewable resource. And by the time you wait for the market to get better, it's going to pass you by. You have to take advantage of the market you're in every day. Again, we've been in these yeah. markets for 44 years. So when the market went down in 06 to 08, <clears throat> it was an enormous Opportunity, for example, for you guys who are familiar with cap rates, net income on a multifamily property, we bought uh, over a thousand doors at a cap rate of over 28% minimum. Now, what did we do with them? We wholesaled them. We never held them for more than one day, and we made just gigantic two and a half to three year net income on the closing table, no tents and toilets. And you can still do that, but you have to understand cap rates and so on. Get the book from Mike. I think it'll uh, be a, a game changer for you if you, in fact, put it into play. Okay, Dave. Well, listen, David. I appreciate you uh, wholeheartedly, and um, it's you know I always say this. Dave is is a mind, and you guys only got a like. I don't even call. I can't even call it a tip of the iceberg today, because what's behind that brain is is really more than an iceberg. It's a, it's a plethora of information and knowledge. But uh, I know Dave. One thing when working with him personally on the investing side, you know, he's asking questions. He's digging deep. And he says, you know, continue to follow up. <laughs> it's a big thing. And it's so, so profoundly important, guys. And, you know, we, you've, we've talked about that in coaching. On the retail side, frankly, it doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, this is a, a very uh, important area. But, Dave, I want to say thank you so very much for your uh, time. And I know it's valuable, and I appreciate you. I appreciate all you guys who joined the call today. And if you want the book, um, I guess the best way to do it, so I know who you are, I know some of you who, who are on this list today on my call list, but send me a, just a text and your first name and your email address, and I'll get you out the book uh, straight away. And it's a great book, a lot of content, no hype in it, and uh, very, very informative. If you have any questions, send them to me, and I'll get them over to Dave. If he can answer for you off record or off the call here today, that would be great. So, guys, appreciate your time. Dave, thank you so much. We'll catch up later. And until we speak, make it a great rest of the day, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks, Mike. Take care. You're welcome, Dave. Thank you. Thank you, Dave.